You're listening to the Saturday Morning RPG Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning RPG Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming, who is back Hello. from being away for a little bit, uh, but we're very excited yeah. to have him here. And right <laughs> off the get-go, thank you, uh, Moa Peach, for your donation. That's really nice of you. He's They're very, very uh, persistent on this Drow Patreon game they want me to run, which would be a lot of fun. I need to right. find time to do that, I think. Be cool. My so many good all over the place. With that. <laughs> um, I adjusted a bunch of audio, so let me know if you can hear Lucian. Okay, Lucian, how are you? I am great. I hope you guys can hear me uh, well. I've been doing a lot of traveling, a lot of outdoor things, um, but was excited to see uh, Lex was on the show last week, so mm -hmm. that was cool. Um, but it's always good to come back and talk about the thing we love and the thing we're passionate about, which is role-playing games and world building and just all the good gaming stuff yeah <laughs> um so you'll be excited for this lucian i don't know if you saw but uh one of the reasons i had lex on well lex is my friend and he was like yeah i'll be on your show that's, that's um but <laughs> uh D D 5b which he's just only able to call it 5b because he can't call it D D 5b but that is being released um the 22nd so in a couple days monday oh, or nice. tuesday which I'll be really excited, and it's only five dollars. You know, it's five B for five dollars on drive through. It'll be really cool. And he is. Uh, this was one of the interesting things I found about it is he actually said that he ran a game where he told half his players to make five E characters and the other half to make five B characters, and they played together. So it gave me hope for the new edition of DD, like they keep saying it's backwards mm -hmm. compatible and who knows what the power levels will be like but because lex used the same like structure of proficiency and stuff uh the two really mesh well together and he said like we didn't have any problems with power level and crazy things like that it was just like a different style of play but within the 5e framework um which i was like well that's really cool because yeah. uh, it's a little simpler. For, simpler, So if you had a player mm -hmm. that wanted to just like jump in for a night, it could be like, here's your quick 5B character. But at the same time, um, it gave me hope for the 2024 edition of D&D &D to be backwards compatible too. And be like, okay, well, I'm going to play a 2024 Paladin and I'm going to play a 2015 Paladin or a 2014 Paladin and how that'll mm -hmm. be really cool to like mesh well, you know, so... That's Kinda very cool. cool. Um, yeah. That almost sounds like the sidekick or henchman thing. A little bit, out. yeah. By that, yeah. Um, but that's cool. And I think if we, I think if we think about it too, Five E has been the version that's probably been the most friendly to mod and add to and tweak in lots of ways. Just you can see the plethora of all of the things people are doing with 5e whether it's a modern game a sci-fi game a dinosaur game yeah. they they could be changing small things they could be changing huge things about the system and yet it still kind of all kind of integrates it's i think this version has been really good about being tinkered with versus yeah. you know some of the well, other versions we i think 3.5 was good about being tinkered with too it, it really is just the fact that they did the open game license because apparently mm -hmm. there was a d20 modern system back with third edition yeah. yeah where they took the third edition rules but made it into like tanks and warfare and modern day stuff and i was like oh that's kind of cool mm -hmm. but uh you're right like i mean changing it into sci-fi stuff like uh i think yeah we had uh my friend steve uh was on this show and he wrote a superhero version of 5e I don't think he ever like released it to sell, but he definitely like redid a bunch of stuff, but used the same mechanics because he wanted to do um, 5e or he wanted to use 5e because that's what he's familiar with. But just the popularity of 5e in the last 10 years has really done yeah. exponential growth for modders and, and probably just the Internet in general, because you don't have to like photocopy your zine and try to find people to buy it. Now you can just put it on drive through and it's there or itch itch is an amazing place for like indie content it's really cool so yeah um well, I'm, but yeah. I'm glad for him yeah 
I, I am too. I'm really excited. I think it'll be awesome when it actually comes out. And I know you were curious about it because you really liked the name and stuff. And it's fun. Yeah, uh, it's the greatest name. And <laughs> I have been playtesting it for like the last year and a half, maybe longer. We play like every other week. So when I can make it. Um, but I've got a thief and it's been a lot of fun just like doing just a cool, cool system and testing out stuff. I like, I like, uh, I think I like playing for testing because it's like interesting to have the conversations afterwards about like what worked and what didn't you're kind of like fine tuning stuff i was like oh man play tests mm -hmm. are actually really cool so <laughs> yeah very and much um go ahead that's it i did the Cloudbreaker alliance play test oh yeah coming up too so i that was the same experience though like going through it but then after the session was over some of us stayed on and just kind of talked with uh, CJ and just, you know, about the things we, you know, that were interesting or what popped out to us or, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. So that was, it's cool to go through a session and then just kind of go back and look at it again. Um, it's super fun. Yeah. And speaking of playtests, we had the D&D Beyond survey for the PHB 2.0, which had, that was like a 50 plus page playtest. Like it was a lot. Um, yeah. And it got me thinking about the next one. Because they'll probably do some refinements on the classes and stuff, but they're getting the feedback that they want. Um, I think the next playtest... Well, I'm wondering, will there be a spell playtest? Like, are they going to redefine certain spells? Uh, and, and the reason I think this is because we have the division of spell list now. Like, this spell mm -hmm. is on Primal, Divine, and Arcane, and certain classes will be able to get well i think every class is going to have one category but the the only one that comes to mind is like the bard you might be able to choose like here's your divine but you can choose a couple arcane or a couple this i'm not really sure but it'll be things like cure wounds will be on the primal one and it'll also be on the divine one so that the druid doesn't pick divine they just pick from the primal itself uh, we'll see, but I think there's going to be a playtest that has, I don't know, more, more spells and just kind of like, here you go. And then I wonder also if we'll get like a big, did we get a big feat playtest? Cause like, if we're going to introduce all these new feats and these new things, I feel like we're going to have to be like, here are all of the feats and where they go and how they interact. And that's going to be another one. So, yeah, I think we've gotten like new ones or maybe some adjustments to them to feats they're thinking about doing but i don't know if we've got like you've said like a comprehensive yeah. here's all the feats let's run a big test on all these feats and make sure it's going through because it definitely seems like they're pushing that way and it seems like the class adjustments they're making are around feat choices and what yeah. you can do with feats and class specific feats and and those kinds of things so it must be popular enough that they want to continue because that was you know in the first player's handbook it's an optional rule right feats isn't necessarily in the core game it's if your dungeon master allows that optional rule which i saw on twitter you get you and um i think it was uh ted, ted were talking yeah. about is it popular is it not and i'm like i'm every game i played in it yeah and it seems super popular it makes me wonder like it always says optional rule but it didn't feel optional because of the variant human and mm -hmm. uh that was what i was trying to bring up is like i i think i could just jump in and play the game and ignore feats but human is by far the most popular race to play or ancestry, whatever you want to call it. And mm -hmm. when you look at the human, it's like, here's what the human can do. And you're kind of like, uh, okay, I guess it's a little better. And then you read further. It's like, here's the variant human where you can go to this page and read all of these different feats. So I, I've never played in a 5e game and I've even played adventure league and feats are mm -hmm. there. It's not like adventure league was like, Oh, by the way, that optional rule, we don't allow it. it's like, well, you don't allow the optional rule of, uh, uh, I forgot what it's called, flanking but like well, flanking. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. You don't allow the optional rule of flanking, but you allow feats because they don't feel optional, even though you've said that they are. <laughs> so every game I've played has had feats because whether we take them as ability score increases or feats, that's what feels optional, I guess. Cause it's always like, I can't tell you how many campaigns people have started level one with that. So, um, but even the, how many, uh, ability score increases the fighter gets it, 
I really think you need uh, feats for the fighter because I was playing a fighter and by the time we got to like level 13, I'm like, I'm maxed out on this. So I guess I'll take a cool feat that does this. I don't know. So unless yeah, I really want to up my charisma, <laughs> which, you know, mm -hmm. that helps your saving throws by one. But it's like at that time, yeah. I'm like, I'd much rather have a new thing to play with. So, And I think I think one of the reasons that human variant is also popular. I think it's a couple of things too. So when not only did one thing help kind of push it to be popular, but it was one, you got to really choose kind of where your ASI points went, even in the beginning. And I feel like a lot of people just want to be able to put their plus one or their plus two in the spot they want it to go versus I'm playing my dwarf or I'm playing my elf and it goes to these areas, even though yeah. they could pick, you know, subclasses. And I think human variant gave you that, then it gives you feats right from the get go. Right. And so that's another, and then that gives you more choices. So now you just gave me two things that give me a lot of choices. And I think that was just like one of the things that pushed it to be super popular. And I just, and I, I picked it a lot when I was min maxing certain characters, other ones, if I just had a theme, I just stuck with the theme. Like I didn't really care, yeah. but if I knew I was going to min max, Boy, it was a variant human, and I was going to do yeah, I never and all kinds of multi-classing and everything I could. That's a really that's a really good point because you were if you were like I'm going to play a dwarf, they're like here's your strength and constitution, unless you choose this mm -hmm. one, and here's your like constitution and wisdom. And so if you wanted to like min max, then yeah, and so the mm -hmm. players kind of gravitated towards those. Um, I wonder if this will turn into like advanced dungeons and dragons 5e or something <laughs> you know where it's like it's kind of compatible there are people that are probably still play the 2024 or the 2014 version but the new version that's coming out is going to be the the standard and then will that get too confusing for new players you know probably yeah. not with well, I, online I mean... character builders and stuff like a lot of people don't have to get into the nitty-gritty of the book anymore like there's mm -hmm. so many character creators that'll build it for you and things like that. And we were talking about that with Pathfinder, how you wanted that for Pathfinder, you know, to help you out. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Uh, well, and I think if you're going to embrace the nostalgia of 80s Dungeons and Dragons, right? Because 70s Dungeons and Dragons is really kind of like OSR leading into early 80s, I think. And then mid 80s, late 80s is advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So why not if, if you're getting all your Stranger Things and you're getting all these things that <laughs> Kind of harken to D and D is cool. It's back again. It's retro and '80s stuff is cool. Why don't we go back to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Five E? Use use the advanced. I think it's going to be great. <laughs> Embrace the nostalgia, right? You know, yeah. just full on. But I think they're doing. I think they're doing everything they can on a game. It's clear the community and the people, the fans of it don't want it to change too much from what it is right now. It's in such a place that it's yeah. accepted. They don't want the big changes. They are Nobody is looking for, hey, guys, we've got this new 6E, and it's, and it's kind of like 4E, like when they just decided, hey, let's redo everything. Let's redo the engine. And, and all good intentions, but I think they're at a spot right now where they can't just say, hey, we're going to rethink everything. Initiative's different. Uh, combat rounds are different. Uh, you know, everything is just different. They're just, people just like the way it plays, like the way yep. it runs right now, that small changes are good or additions are good, but the structure everybody wants really to stay the same. And that's, I yeah. think they're leaning into that. And, and I mean, they are leaning into that because of the putting it in creative commons, like this, I mean, this is mm -hmm. the future of Dungeons and Dragons, whether, and I think we'll always call it Dungeons and Dragons, but whether you're playing Tales of the Valiant or all these other things, like I think, d20 roll over check your bonuses six ability scores like that is going to be you know the game and so yeah all these that game all will these... exist there yeah. will be others but yeah yeah but like you know pathfinder uh, what's their their summoning class the edelon class or something i've always been interested in summoning yeah. and pets i think now that this is in the creative commons and with the new edition coming out we're gonna have all of these crazy pet rules and people are gonna you know mm -hmm. they're gonna they're already statting up games where you're playing um, 
like a bunch of rats and they use the like rat monster block or something. And it's like, this is mm -hmm. going to be a really low key game, but it's familiar because you're still rolling a D 20 and adding modifiers. And so, and yeah. saving throws. Well, we and all you, understand that there yeah. was a video on their channel with, uh, um, Jeremy t talking about the survey results they got back for the Paladin and the Druid. Yeah. And what leads into that is the wild shape, the big conversation that's been going around about wild shape, because the idea that one of the things that Jeremy said that kind of stood out to me, and I, I actually recognize this, um, is that they want to not swamp a player who says, I'm going to pick a Druid and I have wild shape, but now I have to pick from a hundred different stat blocks of what shape am I yeah. going to turn into or what couple of them are, or do I have to have them all ready? Or how am I going to run that if I'm, choosing a different one every session you know my dungeon master is keeping all the stats and all the stuff going and i just thought i'm so glad they're looking at that because the desire is to be able to do those things but the engine the game engine right now makes that clunky so there needs to be like something that helps with this massive lots of transformations or like you just brought up pet classes right because if you can streamline that so it's not a big deal and it's not a big hampering then then pet classes are a no-brainer at that point they only become harder i think when you start to say like even a pet class where you say well you get one pet that's you can kind of build that now and not be too clunky but if you said you're a summoner and you can summon 30 different things or 15 different things that's a whole new ball game in the way that the engine runs at the moment so or the the, the mechanics of the yeah uh, and, and the wizard can do that and you know you could summon like yeah 15 squirrels and it does if it's you're funky. rolling a d20 for each squirrel <laughs> it's kind of like Ugh. but i'm glad that you yeah. brought up that druid because i think it highlights a problem that we're seeing with this is like with you know i guess bloat is what i'm talking about like will yeah. players be like that's too many feats to look at i don't want to do that and the same thing with the druid where the druid's like oh i can wild well what can i wild shape into and you like slam down a monster manual anything that's cr one or below and you're like oh that's a lot um, and I've seen a lot of GMs to limit that because I wouldn't go to a wizard and be like, here's every spell you can play it. You can cast every spell, like whatever you want to do, as long as it's spell level two just and below. <laughs> no, not even pick a couple. Like, it's not like, you yeah. know, these spells, like, what if I just let you have every oh. spell? And I guess, I yeah. guess I shouldn't say this, but like, I shouldn't use this as an example because clerics have access to like every spell. Um, but you choose some for the day is my point. Mm -hmm. With the Druid, I really feel like you should have been like, okay, you know, like the GM would hand you, like here are the two that you know, you know, the two wild shapes that you know. And then if you encounter a monster in the wild, we can make a check to see if you've learned that ability. That's how I played it. Yeah, and I, but that's not, that's not in the rules as far as I know. But no, like, yeah. But <laughs> that's a GM kind of fixing the game because you're like, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna play it this way, you know? And it makes more yeah. sense that way. The way they're doing wild shape now is like, here's your like default wild shape that doesn't really, it's not an actual animal. So you don't have these cool abilities and it's kind of like, okay, I like the idea of having the, I'm going to become a snake. So I get this specific snake ability. Like, I think that's fun. And the generic wild shapes that they had didn't seem fun to me like that. Cause it just felt like you had like a, a shifted form yeah. or something as opposed to the actual wild shape. Uh, but and they're you figuring have a it out. movie, blockbuster movie out, where yeah. your druid changes into And that's what every druid mouse, wants to do. <laughs> a hawk, and then an owl bear, you know? Yeah. So you can't tell me I just get CR1. You got you to gotta open it up. I got to have some options here. But then what are those options and how do you manage that in the game? So I definitely recognize it's a, a tough challenge. Like if we were looking at your um, D6 module game, modular D6, and we were like, okay, Jordan, I want to be able to have six cool things out. I've got like this tank pet, and then I've got a couple of like little damage pets, and I've got this little other pet that's a ranged guy, and this one pet is maybe a, a, or a one's just casting. speed. So how do know? I play all that in your game? Yeah, you know? yeah. it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> hold on. So it's a lot. So they have to come up with ways to do it, but it's something that people want, and so trying to divorce like the here's your stats it doesn't matter what it looks like you can say what it looks like i think you're exactly right i think you lose something to go that route it feels like you're gaining something because 
you're saying, well, here's your stats. So those don't change. And you can say I'm a hawk or I'm a, I'm a snake or I'm a whatever. But then I don't really feel that way. I like the idea that if I'm a snake, I get the snake, you know, yeah. stat block well, right yeah, in front of me. And I play right. the snake. Because <laughs> it, it is like I they could say like, well, I, I shape change into this generic animal. And you say, I'm mm -hmm. a bear. It's like, okay, it works well for a bear. But then you shape change into an owlbear. And it's like, well, I want to do like a, a beak attack. And they're like, well, that's not on your stat block. Even though you said you're an owlbear, it's not on your stat block. And that's what GMs are going to mm -hmm. do. They're going to be like, uh. And so if you have the owlbear stat block, you could be like, oh, I can beak them and then swipe twice. And it's like, but that gets into the mid-maxing where you're like, what's the best pet and things like that. But we're going to do that anyway. I don't know. I just think you need to limit, like, here are the beginning monsters you can change into. Like, give me three. Um, you know, give me the mm -hmm. sneaky snake the or a spider, like a snake or a spider or something. Give me a, a, a bird or a weasel. I don't know. <laughs> and then give me a brown mm -hmm. bear because bears are awesome. And they're, like, the good tank and damage. And then as you level, you need to be able to go out in the wild and see more animals and make pet choices and stuff. Or wild shape choices but yeah it'd be cool it'd yeah, be interesting want, to prep know, like, it displacer you know, like, beast would be who i'd want to turn yeah. into as a druid that would be my um that would be cool as to like can i well i guess at a certain level you can turn turn into elementals which is pretty powerful so um that was another open because i think like that's that, a cool yeah. way to go too so. yeah not just creatures not just animals or creatures based on how the player's handbook is because you could have monstrosities and aberrations and you know all these things that i think would be cool if you're if it was like a druid subclass that let you do that right that so maybe cool. you can't turn into the bear or the horse or any of the other things because you chose aberration so you only get to pick a couple of aberration ones but now all of a sudden you can be a slime or you can be you know whatever you can be yeah. something that's from the book that's kind of cool and you play the stat block or you, know? you use your wild shape to grow eye stalks out of your back and then you can fire lasers like a beholder like that would be awesome so yeah we should write yeah, that subclass now that would be so awesome <laughs> so drew could be very cool but i recognize the difficulty of you're going to give that type of option to players and that's a big that's a lot yeah. right you can't so, make everybody happy monster. is the problem i think that's what yeah, it always true. comes down to is like this and he even said in that interview like half of you really loved this new druid and the other half were like mm -hmm. you te tearing the park the game apart and you're what are you doing and so <laughs> you can't make everybody happy and it is this like uh what's what's best for the game experience overall and then i guess people will tweak it from there you know so yeah the rule is streamlined and the second page options are for when you want to expand and explode mm -hmm. for those people that want more options and more bloat they're optional, so that makes just that clear, easy boundary for that dungeon master to say, oh, we're just playing this right now. That's, you know, the, keep the game easy, streamlined. I'm, I'm learning the rules. Mm. I don't want to get too crazy. Or, yeah, let's embrace it all. Like, I know my dungeon master, Danimal, he, would, he lets us do all kinds of crazy stuff. So he would let us do all kinds of different pets. And he did when we, when we did wizard summonings and all that stuff. All of a sudden, there's, you know... There, there must have been 10 or 15 other creatures in in a fight all of a sudden and we had to come up with mechanics that make it quicker to roll either yeah. them as a group or their initiatives all in the same spot so it's not getting all clunky or you know just ways to streamline some of that and then it could be fun to play them um in, in it so i'm i'm excited for it because i love a pet class and i think pet classes should be in all role-playing games yeah <laughs> um Critical Role announced a new streaming series using their system, which is kind of, I, I shouldn't say a big deal because they've done other systems, but um, this will be interesting because it's their system. And I don't know if they've played a horror actual play before. Um, hmm. I, I'm trying to think if they've done like a serious kind of, I feel like they have, but maybe not. It just I feels feel like, like a Critical Role Halloween thing ones. to do. Yeah. Yeah, but those yeah. are kind of silly a lot of times. This one is going to be pretty serious from what I hear. It's called uh, Candela Obscura, which is the obscure candle in Latin. Um, and they're the promo fixtures. They're all dressed in like Victorian garments and it's going to be like Lovecraftian stuff. Um, but I'm excited because they're going to use their illuminated world system, which they're um, 
featuring at Gen Con. So if you're going to Gen Con, that'll be kind of cool. You can play test it and stuff. I'm excited to see it and go to their booth. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll see. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome. That And that's going to be starting in five days, May 25th. So we'll get a yeah. preview of this Illuminated World system and their their new horror actual play, uh, which if it's a limited run, I might check it out. Like I can't follow Critical Role anymore, but like I could listen to a six episode thing. That would be like a lot of fun, you know? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, live plays nowadays are getting harder and harder for me to watch versus five years ago or six years ago, I'd watch, yeah. you know, every single minute of in three or four different ones. But yeah, it's starting to get to the point now <laughs> where I've watched so many and I'm in so many games and I've yeah. played so many games that, yeah, watching an actual play is a little rougher. Well, it's like, <laughs> I was just trying like to watch TV. the one they had on Dimension 20 <laughs> yeah. where they were all vegetables or something. And I was like, oh, that's um, Mercer was the GM. And I was like, what's going on here? Because it was all kind of funny. And I got about, uh, I don't know, about 45 minutes in, maybe an hour. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's about as much as I can do. <laughs> um, They... Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's, I was just thinking like, it's, it's like when your friend is up there and they're like, oh, you should watch Inuyasha. You'd love it. And then you look at the episode mm -hmm. list. You're like, nope, I do not have time for 700 episodes or something like that. <laughs> so uh, that's how I feel about Critical Role at this point. I'm just so busy that I'm like, Ugh. but I do like to get the highlights of it. Like when they do fun vegetable yeah. games, like that's hilarious, you know? <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Cobalt Press announced their Kickstarter soon for Tales of the Valiant. Uh, and I feel bad because Paizo's releasing their Orc license and Cobalt Press is doing this open role play system that they're coordinating with uh and i i think i don't know why but i'm getting the two companies confused and for a little while i was telling some people i'm like yeah you know paizo's making that tales of the valiant and they're like no they're not and so but cobalt <laughs> press is different from paizo paizo's really republishing pathfinder to not use the ogl license the open game license yeah. and cobalt press is going in a different route with this is their version of pathfinder in a way this is tales of the valiant is their pathfinder it's like here's our mm -hmm. own role-playing game separate from D D that all of our past stuff will work with chef's kiss it's going to be awesome there's no date on this kickstarter yet which is frustrating but maybe that's for a reason so just the coming soon yeah yeah but they have eight thousand followers so far um and i think ben milton had 5,000 followers when his launched and he's at 500 K plus. So this will probably do too. very well. I know a lot of people are excited for this. They've been releasing the play test material and things. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, this should be big and we'll see how it works out. If yeah, anything, we have more games to play, energy. which is fine. So that's always better, right? Yeah. More games me. to try out. Um, yeah, and then speaking of Nave, <laughs> Nave 2nd Edition, Ben Milton over at Questing Beast, he's at $522,000, um, which is bizarro to me. Bonkers. It's yeah. so much money. That's good for him, though. Because it is great. I'm so happy for him. He's been making yeah. a lot of stuff. I've seen articles in a lot more places than I've ever seen, um, you know, interviews and stuff with Ben Milton. So he's he's really getting out there in the, in the uh, community even more. And I think it's great just because... You know, we kind of knew him always as he's doing YouTube stuff. Well, we he's the OSR the guy. Like, I he's love, a, yeah. Yeah, but he's also like a teacher and he's he's building these other cool games on his spare time. But and he loves to play and teach these games to his students. And, you know, we've gotten to talk to him and he's really great about thinking about how OSR and um, how rules work. And all his videos are about, you know, kind of looking at how these different osr products out there that he sees out there that people are making and what's cool about them, what he likes about them, and all those kinds of things and now you know his game is just really skyrocketing so it's just great for him to, to he, do that he That's played awesome. the long <laughs> game really really well yeah. because uh i wonder if he made... goes full-time now or if he'll keep teaching that's a good question who knows um yeah because he could definitely start a publishing company kind of with this and and start publishing OSR stuff. So I, I don't know, but there's also those people that really love their, mm -hmm. uh, their, their day job. Maybe he really loves teaching and mm -hmm. summer will be, you know, the time that he writes a new book. And then <laughs> when the summer's done, he does that. So I don't know. Um, cause he's but, approaching MCDM territory with five, 
520k yeah. for a 12 days to go. Build book, so. And that's how they launched their exactly yeah. their website, all the other products they're doing now mm-hmm. going full studio. I mean, he's, he's getting to that territory. Good for him. And I think for me, $35, $40 for an RPG book. That is the sweet spot money wise for Jordan. Like, yeah. uh, I, th- I think it was Flea Mortals from MCDM that was 70. And I'm like, oh, that's that's a lot. I still want to, but that's a lot. Um, but I personally, I was telling Ben this because I'm like, mm-hmm. personally, that $35 is like, if I can get a nice hardback for $40, like I'm excited. And he's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, it's it's great. Like, I'm really excited for him. This is like pretty awesome. Oh, I was saying he was playing the long game because he released Nave first edition for free. You know, I think mm-hmm. he said he made it in Microsoft word it has no art. He just made it creative commons go, but so many people have taken that and hacked that game and made it different and changed it up. And so his name was out there and, you know, you have that with the mm-hmm. name recognition of the YouTube channel and all this other stuff. And boom, he, he did really well. So I'm really excited for him. Wasn't Nave his second game? Wasn't there a game before that? No, did? Nave was the first one, I think. And then Maze Rats is his second oh, game Maze Rats. that is That's slightly funny. based off of Nave. Like, I think he was, he mm-hmm. was using similar things when he built it, but Maze Rats is not creative commons but i think you could you could use the system for things maybe it is i'm not sure but but yeah i he made nave first as far as i remember so which was just here's a game on a single sheet of paper <laughs> like here's how you do it you know no classes you're the class uh if you pick up a wand you're a wizard everything was equipment based and then if you put down the wand and pick up a sword you're a fighter and i was like that's yeah. a cool idea because uh if your your inventory describes the abilities that you can do so it's kind of neat yeah um speaking of all of this yeah so i had an idea where i was talking i was thinking about uh system reference documents and how going forward in the tabletop world um a lot of the osr people have started making system reference documents so you can build something with the rules of their game. Uh, mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast and uh, it's called Between Two Cairns. It's really cool. Really good podcast. It's the, the guy who wrote Cairn and Cairn is an RPG that is based off of Nave. So a lot of weird connections there, but he made a website that was like, here are the rules. Here's like a, a reference document. And it and I like system reference documents because it's the idea that we were just talking about 5e and how 5e is kind of all known within the spaces. And so if you're like, I want to make a weird Western sci-fi game where you're on robot horses on the moon, fighting aliens with pistols, Mm -hmm. I'm going to use this system reference document to kind of build my game in that world or build my world using that game. But then I could also go over here and take the 5e system reference document and I could build a version for that. Or I could pull the, the, pathfinder one or whatever osr system um or i can make my setting neutral you know lots of people do that uh but is that should that be the new standard for games going forward like if you make a game should it be like now you can do this or going even further if i make my cool space western moon robot horse campaign setting should it have a system reference document so people can write adventures for that world you know i i don't know like i was trying to think about it like this is one of the reasons that the osr has exploded i think is because everybody can kind of pick and choose what they want and and things like that but you're also giving up a lot of your quote intellectual property when you do that um but i was i don't know i wanted to know your thoughts because there's so many srds out now (laughs) like i found a website that's like here's a list of all of the srds that we found (laughs) And there's D&D 5e, Pathfinder, 3.5, Fate Core, Fudge, 13th Age, Traveler, D20 Modern, Gumshoe, Open D6, like Dungeon World. I don't, a lot of these I don't even know. Bulletproof Blues. Don't know what that is. So. Yeah. It's, it's such a relevant topic to, because it spans not just tabletop role-playing games, but the it's that idea that um, I create this. I put it out there so somebody else can use parts or bits of it to make their creation 
and then it comes back to they can also make a living using that thing that I created and put out there, or, you know, what the company I work for created or whatever. Yeah. And at what point is there a line that has to be drawn or should be drawn or doesn't have to be drawn to say, wait a minute, you've used too much of what I have done. Yeah. We see it in music, right? Like if you if your song is too similar to somebody else's song, somebody might sue somebody. Uh, if you're uh, if you write a book and it's the exact same plot line of another book, you know, although I guess that happens all the time. So yeah, it I does, guess there's but... no real like, but yeah, you're, yeah. the SRD, I see where you're going with this, because the SRD specifically yeah. says you can use this text that I wrote that describes this game mechanic mm -hmm. in your game. Absolutely free yeah. kind of a thing. Well, Verbatim. I shouldn't say all SRDs do. The SRD was tied to the OGL, but now it's become its own separate thing. And it's just this idea of like, here are here's what I'm allowing you to utilize you know and, and an srd mm -hmm. might have a creative commons thing on it or something like that but it gives yeah. us a language to use like you know 5e language i know 5e language so when i explain i don't have to rename what a saving throw is i can tell mm -hmm. you like we all know what saving throw is we cannot you know nobody has saving throw copyrighted anymore um and i think it helps but yeah it's interesting wow yeah, I so and and to finish that thought is I think I fall in right now because I've been thinking about it a lot. I fall into and I think you're this way too. I think the mechanics should be open and anybody can use the mechanics, the dice rolling, the rules of the structure, but then the campaign setting or the thing that is about characters and people and stories is an IP that can be protected and you shouldn't just be able to grab it and copy it and, and put it out there mm -hmm. as if you had created it or whatever. But I think the, so I think I'm like half and half is like, I want, I think the mechanics and structure should be things that we can share and use yeah. and, and are in SRDs and OGLs and things. Well, and it's, well, and I like the idea of, so let's say I play in the Forgotten Realms and I buy some OSR dungeon well, that's really easy for me to take that and put it into my game. Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, you, mm -hmm. you found a random cave. You walk into it. Now I can use this supplement. We can go through that. Um, and I think that's where I was thinking about those those games that are kind of tied to setting. Like, maybe we'll use um, Numenera is probably a bad one, but like Invisible Sun. So Invisible mm -hmm. Sun, the, the system, the core system of that game is different than Cypher. And it's very much tied to the setting. Yeah. Invisible Sun is not getting adventures written for it. Like, because they don't have a system reference document. Not a lot of people play it kind of a thing. It's really this own isolated thing. But he created this whole world that they want to hold on to that IP. Um, but I'm also curious about, I want to see all of the fans of Invisible Sun be able to make an Invisible Sun adventure for me. You know? So... Mm -hmm. I don't have an answer to this question, but like, where's the give and take of that where you're like, I want to give just enough. And that's why I, I think the original question was like, should that be a standard? Like if you're making a game, should it just be assumed like I'm, I'm, and maybe you can't, I'm looking at alien on the back of your wall. Like maybe I can't mm -hmm. do that with alien because it's a franchise or something, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of like that. That's such a cool world. And I feel like I, you can't build something directly for Invisible Sun. I would have to build something adjacent and neutral and then kind of explain, like, here's, you know, off off the well, record, here's how you could convert it for Invisible Sun. Like, <laughs> but you can build things. You just have to give a cut to Wizards of the Coast if you're going to use Forgotten Realms right. like in the, yeah. the DMs guild. So you could have the that, SRD. They, they do. They the have OTLs. that. Yeah. You could have a program that lets people use licensed stuff but they get a cut and then they still have another opportunity to say well me and jordan have a publishing company and we want to do a forgotten realm world book we could negotiate a license with them to do a forgotten realm book and go through the full business route so there's like three routes yeah of tiers of what can happen and what we could use or what we couldn't use or what we'd have to do to be able to use you know we want to use elminster in our yeah. in our thing or we want dritz to show up on the cover you know 
they're going to get some type of cut of that, or we're going to have to get permission to do that if, if we want to try it. So I think it's still kind of in lots of gray areas. Maybe there's no solid line. It has to be case by case mm -hmm. maybe. And um, I know there's just a lot of people that like to protect um, intellectual property. And I'm not a huge fan of turning intellectual property into such a commodity that people are like trading it like it's stocks or whatever. Like somebody can go buy, well, I just bought, you know, this uh, song that was from the Beatles and I purchased it and now it's mine. And now if anybody wants to yeah. run and play it on the radio, they're going to pay me for it because I own it now. And it's like, it's just such a weird. Yeah. It doesn't like Michael our Jackson games to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, want he died, to get to but that. I thought Michael Jackson owned a lot of the Beatles music. And it just felt wrong. And so you're right. Like Michael Jackson was getting royalties because yeah. he owned the music, but it's like, you didn't write that music, you know? Yeah. And so, but you uh, brought it like a product, but yeah, they, they're, they're training it like, like stocks and stuff. And so I, and that's how companies start collecting intellectual property. And it's like, Oh, you own this. It's like, but the, you know, how does a non-intelligent company make something? It was the people that made it, but but now we're getting into the mm -hmm. Communist Manifesto. I don't know. Like, oh, well, slow <laughs> <No>. down. <laughs> <laughs> the, the workers should seize the things of production. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but it was it was kind of fun. If the, if you're curious about this, there's I'll put a link in the chat. Actually, there's Dice Geeks was just like here's a list of our our SRDs, and so it got me thinking. Like, if you want to make a game start here you know like find it and be like oh like i could make a uh i could make this type of game or this type of game and these are mm -hmm. are usually very free and they want you to use their system to help elevate it up and to build cool things so yeah. lucian wants to make a mech warrior battle tech game and i need all of the different systems that i want to use to do this to be in uh SRDs and OGLs so that I can do it. Because <laughs> I want DD 5e rules for role playing and pilots outside of mechs and any of the negotiations, diplomacy meetings, yeah. that kind of stuff. 5e rules. I want a mech combat system that's a little cool and crunchy and strategic and moving miniatures around or moving yeah. things around in your roll 20. And so I want a little bit more cohesive combat system. And then I want a uh, economic system that's Ooh. tracking the everything that's happening in the downtime between the sessions, like how the market's fluctuating, what's available for somebody to salvage, what what are the prices of things, what's the price of labor, what's the price of hiring things, and like tables you can roll on so that moves around. I think it was like Stars Without Numbers has the the ability to not only create the universe and galaxy you're working in. But then it has tools for you to continue that galaxy forward as if it's a living, breathing thing mm -hmm. with fluctuating prices and things that are happening. And, um, you know, I like that. So I need a third system that can handle kind of that piece of it. So it's like an economic engine, a role play engine for uh, interactions and then a combat yeah and then how do those interact with each other <laughs> like that's the other yeah. thing you know because you could have those three yeah. separate things and then but building yet or i shouldn't say building another system but like unifying them in some interesting way yeah where it's and like then i'm going into combat game. but i have less fuel because i was mm -hmm. angry to the space king who then pulled the yeah. stock market back you know it's like oh man ramifications after ramifications so yeah, mm -hmm. sounds like Star Citizen. I think that's exactly what he wants. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> no, I want, and I like Battletech. I like Mech yeah. Warrior or like a Robotech would be the style. A Gundam would be kind of the style I was going for. Um, but I wanted the idea that, yeah, what are fuel prices and how do they change? Yeah. And what are the things that do change that so that the players have to figure out a little bit of the economics of running a mercenary company? Like if you're going to run an Acquisitions Inc. game, and you're running the corporation. Well, what's what's the little corporation piece of that that's mm -hmm. going on? Plus, we get to role play and goof around and do yeah. all the cool things that we do as heroes. But no, just the, I think know, that these other pieces. Yeah, I I I think that could just be downtime mechanics. And it got me thinking yeah. of when I ran Ghosts of Saltmarsh, we really heavily used down, downtime mechanics, and it was fun. Like players were excited to go back to town because they got to like have yeah. a week of being like, oh. And, There's you know, thinking about Dungeon Crawl Classics and how the week uh, or in DCC, go ahead and take a drink, guys. Sorry, <laughs> I always bring this up in DCC. Yeah. Uh, you take um, it takes like a whole day to get one hit point back. 
And that's a rule that I've never really enjoyed because I feel like it just slow. Everyone gets too cautious to, to actually play the game. Um, so I kind of got rid of that. And I'm like, you, you get your health back on a full, on a long rest. Uh, but if you were doing downtime mechanics, it's like, here's the health you have in the dungeon. Once you leave, now we can do some downtime. You have two weeks to heal. could be a lot of fun to mm -hmm. do something like that. And um, reasons to do it. Like you're yeah. running a, a part of your company or mercenary yeah. group or you're resupplying, you're restocking. You're like, I want to invest in this hiring. fishing, you know, yeah. enterprise. And then, oh, I lost a bunch of money because he died at sea. But now you have a quest to be like, let's go find the boat yeah. that sunk and why it sank. And, you know, I don't know. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that can do that. Um, Gary asks us in chat here. Uh, well, he asked me if, if I was going to make an adventure or a book in the Forgotten Realms, where would I place it? Uh, and that's a good question, probably in Zakara, because I really like the Zakara Ooh. second edition Al Kadim stuff. And it's so expansive that you could really do whatever you wanted. It's kind of like when R.A. Salvatore started with the Drow. Like the Underdark was there, but like he really was allowed to just like, we're going to make it this whole other world. And so uh, that or maybe on the other side of the ice um of ice spire uh the, the mountains there like north of ice i did the other continent revenor which is what i called my campaign yeah. and i had my people sail across the ocean to revenor where revenor and mastica and i think there was another name for it like crow it had a ch in it or something um but there were two names for it but it's kind of like the equivalent of the the americas and south america's mm. continent sort of ish in the forgotten realms but if I had to stay on the main continent, I want to do Myth Draenor. I really think yeah. that and Thay are two places we should be adventuring and there should be books on already. And I know Thay we're for getting sure. Thay. Um, but that those would are the be, two that are super Yeah, if I'm, if I'm not doing Zakara, I, I think it definitely would do Thay. And that northern area of the Forgotten Realms has some really interesting... Uh, I think there's the, the Blood... Iron Throne, Blood Throne, something is up there. I did a video on it, but lots of cool stuff you could do. <laughs> uh, but definitely, yeah, I think Al Kadim cool is like, so it's my favorite. Al Kadim would be cool. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of of mechs, uh, I I I've been working. This is why on, I brought it up. Yeah, this is why you brought it up. So I've been working on a lot of stuff. Um, I have this D twelve system for D and D or for RPGs that I've been working on that I tentatively named Tolve, and then uh, modular D six. But I had an idea of, I want to do something to get my name out there, you know, in the writing sphere of tabletop stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, Absolute Tabletop and Matt Click, they're releasing a fantasy-based version of uh, the Mecha Hack. So the Black Hack is a hackable RPG, fantasy RPG. They took those rules and turned it into the Mecha Hack, which is a really fun RPG if you want to run giant mech games. And now they're doing another one, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it. Maybe I have it written down over here. Yeah, Aether. Excuse me, Aether Nexus, which is kind of like the anime Escaflone and stuff where it's like it's it's fantasy and you're powering your giant mechs by magic they're probably built out of like stone and ceramic and stuff rather than hard metal <laughs> um and it looked really cool and it got me thinking about like man what if I made a mech game because we always talk about mechs and stuff so there Nate Treme wrote a game called Tunnel Goons and this is the the same thing that that Ben Milton did with Nave is he wrote tunnel goons mm -hmm. and he gave it away. He's just like all of it completely free. It's only two pages and a, maybe it's four pages. No, I think it's two pages and a character sheet. And so, so many people have taken this and they've made all kinds of crazy games like, like wizard goons and something. And so he always takes the idea of tunnel goons and makes it into something else. So I started looking and I couldn't find a robot one. And I was like, oh, and so I started writing Mecha Goons. And I've done like five revisions of it so far. I haven't playtested it yet, but it is a very simple idea. And so uh, if you're on my Patreon, I have been uploading PDFs there. And um, it's fun. I don't know. It's kind of been a fun writing challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it's not, it doesn't feel daunting because the mechanics are already there. I'm kind of just tweaking the theme and adding stuff where I feel like I need to add it. Um, mm -hmm. but it's been really like a creative, fun, creative endeavor. So 
I've been working on Mecha Goons. I don't know. You want to play Mecha Goons one day with me? <laughs> I absolutely do. Yeah. What it reminds me of is like John Harper, who did lots of cool games, but he's always about every now and then he challenges himself to make a one or two page RPG yeah. challenge. And I think really cool things come out of those styles of I'm going to challenge myself to build a one or two page RPG that people could play a fun game for two or three hours with yeah. and just make it so streamlined and make it so succinct that it just does the thing it needs to do mm -hmm. and people can have fun with it. And I just think that's a cool challenge. And I think that's a great way to get your name out there and, and, and on something like that. That's perfect because, and Mecha Goons sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds really fun. Um, it's a pretty tunnel goons itself is a really interesting system where you have three stats and it's really like strength, agility, and, uh, I, I guess like well, what is it is it strength I don't know maybe it's like magic or something but it's like depending on what you want to do you roll 2d6 and you add your bonus and then mm -hmm. um the dc is the hit points of the enemy so like you're like okay a hard is going to be dc 10 and so you roll and you're like oh I got an eight well you actually take two damage so the the monsters never attack it's just kind of like based on how you roll is how much damage you take and if mm -hmm. you if if the DC was eight and you rolled a twelve, well then the monster would take four damage, and so uh, it kind of goes back and forth like that. And then from there, I was like, well, that's the base, that's your roll over d twenty base mechanic, you know, like like in D anD D. And so from there, I took that and extrapolated on like a kind of a um, overdrive system and a bunch of other stuff. Still trying to keep it simple because the whole game is supposed to be simple, but. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm going to try. I, I did start an itch page. So if you go to itch.io slash Jordan with PH in the middle, uh, you might find it. You can follow me there and I'm going to upload stuff once I once I finalize it and kind of get my ideas around it. Um, I've been using AI art just so I can like lay out stuff. And I know itch doesn't like AI art. So I might have to like t pull that back just because I don't <laughs> want the... I don't want a lot. Like, I don't know where you stand on the AI art thing. I think it's going to be here to stay is un the unfortunate thing. We'll, we'll see what government does to interject it. Um, but for me as a tool, it's really cool to like have layout and kind of put ideas of like, Oh, this is how I want it to look. And, and so it's been, it's been mm -hmm. fun to like play around with that. So, but yeah, I don't know, Mecha Goods. And it's kind of like, I'm surprised nobody else has made it. It's kind of interesting. Because <laughs> there's so many, like, like you can, you can search Tunnel Goons. And I think you can go to Nate Tremay's website and search Tunnel Goons. And he's got all kinds of, like, here's people who have made games with my system. And it's pretty, pretty awesome. So That's cool. Yeah. The uh, Cloudbreaker Alliance that CJ's creating, he's, it's a 2D6 system, too. And it's um, oh. he's doing a lot of innovative stuff with combat and how magic works and stuff so it's another one that he put it out on his youtube it's being released basically on his youtube channel he's got all the links to where you can download the playtest material and everything that he's releasing and and doing stuff with so if you're also interested in another really fun and it's kind of a fantasy anime but it does have it's not just um i i think of it a little bit like a final fantasy in a way because you have like early period fantasy but then you also can run into high tech stuff too like final fantasy sometimes you yeah have, yeah you know, they have like our final yeah. fantasy Steam and the, engines other places show up and trains and stuff in final fantasy yeah. yeah so he's kind of built a world like that in this Cloudbreaker alliance lots of cool and fun um different things you can choose to be some interesting named classes and how they advance and the things that you can do with them um it was pretty fun to play it and just really talk to him about it. And and he ran the game for us. There was about five of us playing. We went through just a very simple scenario of um, go investigate something. So we got some investigation in. Uh, we found out something was going on. And when we went further in, we had two objectives. One was to um, get some data out of a, a information container. It was kind mm -hmm. of like a a computer thing but it was like we had to get something out of that and then we also there were creatures down there that would attack us on site so then we had some fighting going on so we really got a good nice. sneak around 
in the in the session. We got some combat in the session. We got some talking and negotiation in the session, some investigation. So all the things you'd want in a play test, right? All these things to try out these these cool little mechanics. So it was pretty fun to to go through it. And uh, it was a pretty fun game to, to play through. So if you're looking for something also, and it's so cool because just like you're putting stuff out there, CJ's putting stuff out there, all these new Cobalt Press is putting their new stuff out there. You know, uh, Paizo's doing their second edition. Everybody's putting new content out. So there's no shortage of somebody finding some new game to play. Every time I go into my game store, I'm seeing new books on the shelves for all kinds of franchises. Like I picked up the Transformers, the G.I. Joe game, uh-huh. you know, the Power Rangers game. I saw one for um, Dark Souls was has a game. You know, it was like all these different things have role-playing games now that if you want to play, you know, TTRPGs based on that kind of stuff. So it was cool. Yeah. So much fun. Um, what did you, did you get to play games this past? I mean, it's been like three weeks since I talked to you. So it's like, true. What kind of games. How's the rod of seven parts or the Modron March? Modron now? March. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for, yeah. So I, I kind of had, um, I don't want to say nervous breakdown, but I was just like, I can't handle games right now <laughs> with my house in disarray and things like oh, that. Right. I, I, I was like, I need to really focus on just, I don't know. I, it, it was starting to feel like a chore to try and get everything juggled together. So I talked to my great Bodron March people and I said, guys, I just need a break. Um, we'll, we'll meet back in mid June, maybe later, but I need a break from that. And then my, Dungeon Crawl Classics games as well. I said, guys, I need a break just because I'm stressed out by my house being in a million pieces. Um, So I haven't been playing games, which has given me time to do things like Mecha Goons and to write a little bit, you know? And uh, we were talking about a book that I'm reading before the stream started and how I've been like reading books and just doing things for me. Um, (laughs) And I, it doesn't mean I, I don't want to get back to that, but, uh, I, I think I find that not streaming a game is a lot more fun for me. Um, the minute that there's this performative aspect and an expectation to do stuff, I, uh, I, I get a little like, oh, this isn't fun. This isn't entertainment, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. And I've been, you know, I've been reading all of the dungeon crawl classics, dying earth stuff, and I have those adventures and I want to run those. And we've been talking about running them and recording them so people can play them and, or so people can watch them and find out how to play. And that would be really fun. But I'm like, I just, I mean, you guys only see this little bit behind me, but like my whole basement is just a mess and covered in drywall dust. And I'm, it's uh, frustrating to sit here and look at it. So, so I'm taking yeah. a little break from games at the moment. Um, I will say, I, yeah, I got invited. Um, um, my local game store started doing a new, somebody organized it, but it's, um, it started as new player Fridays and it's every other Friday. You can go to the game store and if you show up at six, they'll help you make a character. And then from seven to 10, you play an RPG and when I was talking to them, they said it's it started as like a way to get people to play D&D. But we found a lot of people are like, hey, I'm actually interested in this other system. Can I run this? And so it's kind of a low key where you're if you're a, a game master that wants to try a new system, that um, it's a good place for that. Or if you're writing something and you want to try out the adventure or if you want to do this. And usually the people that show up are just like, I'll play anything. Like, I, I just want to hang out, you know? Um, and I was like, that's going to be mm-hmm. a great place for me to try, like, Mecha Goons or something like that. So um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go this Friday to that and uh, meet people and say hi. And then I'm going to start testing games there, I think. Be kind of a fun thing yeah. to do, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, I haven't played anything. It's been, <laughs> I have just been like... Yeah frustrated with my uh with my remodel and getting all of the things working so we have tile laid though so hopefully i'll have appliances next week that's exciting and it's really the i think you get that stress of scheduling a long running campaign that's the burnout of a dm that's the thing we've talked about for all of the years we've been doing the show you know the burnout and it happens if you i think if you're streaming the game, it happens if you're not, but you put so much energy as a dungeon master into scheduling people, encouraging people to go to mm-hmm. show. And then there's, you're trying to get everybody there. It does start to become, 
you know, a little bit more than just that fun thing you can do spontaneously or just every now and then, or when you need a break Yeah, and don't take the break, you keep going. And then it kind of spirals out of control. And that's what I, I didn't want it to become like, I'm angry or indignant at my friends because I'm doing this game. Mm -hmm. And, and when you say that, you're like, guys, I need a break. Totally. They were all understanding, you know, my, my local friends here, like that's, that's fine. Like, do you want to come over and just play a board game? I'm like, yes, I would love that. Something that I don't have to like prep Prep. and figure out and do all this other stuff, which normally I like doing, but I prep here in my basement and it's, it's infuriating that I, I can't find certain books because they're in boxes, you know? And so it's just Mm -hmm. not, not Mm -hmm. for me. And if you're, and if you're streaming something, you get that schedule, you feel like you have to keep that schedule you, and you're putting up, an entertainment value into it because in the back of your head you're thinking well i do want it to be something that somebody might want to watch like i'm not trying to be crazy and get millions of viewers but it'd be nice if maybe there was a few people that enjoyed watching what we're doing so you kind of add that piece to it and and you're performing for somebody but you're also trying to play a game for fun that adds just a second thing to it so sometimes you need a break from that sometimes you can't do that day in, day out, week after week after week. So I totally understand it. I Mine has been the job where I manage projects for software. I manage a hundred of them. I manage people's schedules and who needs to show up where and that. And I realized running these games is exactly my job, right? It's yeah. what a project manager is. And I was like, I'm so busy right now with just that. I don't want to manage that at the moment. But I'm finally getting back from my break to really wanting to run a campaign i think i'm you're at the point where you need your break and i'm i feel like i'm at the point where my break is about to be done and i'm going to start reaching out and trying to organize because somebody has to be the catalyst and somebody has to put the energy in for the others to put their energy and combine and then it's great but they don't initiate right they don't yeah there has to be that one person that puts more energy in than just about anybody else that catalysts all the other stuff to happen. And, and usually that's, that's me. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, yeah. I just can't. We're that. Yeah. So yeah. breaks are good. Um, doesn't mean that you don't love the game or the hobby or anything. No, uh, it's just, it. you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes I just want to sit on my back porch and, and read a book, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lots of good stories. And I've been reading some gaming books too. Like I got uh, this Forbidden Lands um, expansion which uh this mm-hmm. was a kickstarter and it came with a monster book that i haven't opened yet but i've been reading through this because it's got like new classes and stuff and and then all, your mind's going like oh i want to start a forbidden lands thing and we were talking about starting a star trek adventures game when we finish our dcc peril of the purple planet but i also have dcc dying earth that i'd be willing to run and so it's just crazy but yeah i don't know what have you been doing what's yeah. what's new in lucianville <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really been with summer coming along and having such a long winter and being inside quite a bit and not really going anywhere. I've been wanting to get out. So we've been doing camping and traveling more. But that means I'm not making the schedules of, you know, the other stuff that I would have normally done. So I've missed a few shows here. I've missed, Mm -hmm. you know, we've missed our game on Thursday night a couple of times due to just regular world stuff, you know, just like somebody's sick or somebody, I think uh, one night was somebody's kid got hurt, not seriously, but it was like, okay, well, well yeah, you got to take that. care of that first. Go so. take care of that, <laughs> you know, just, you know, that's normal. And then, you know, somebody, you know, we're, we're older, some people, you know, somebody passed away. So it's like, well, we don't want to play a game on that day, you know? So it's just like trying to find the schedules to click. And for two years, those schedules clicked really well and everybody was making it yeah. most of the time. And right now, if we got to that point where it's not clicking, so we'll have to see where it goes. But I still think about my character and I still think yeah. about what's our next campaign. I still get excited thinking about new campaigns and new stories to run or new characters to build. Um, so I'm still like totally invested. And I'm computer games here and there, games on my phone. I know you're playing on your Steam Deck and I see, you know, see stuff there and that that gives you inspirations to do stuff too. So um mostly it's just that playing some computer games catching up on some of the new stuff that's been releasing i'm reading um not only avatar um which i got from my kickstarter but i also got an alpha clash uh kickstarter which is a ccg trading card game for superheroes which i think is pretty cool and i'm hoping my um local uh store is going to have some alpha clash tournaments and stuff so oh I nice my yeah. decks over there and play that um i just like the idea of the one thing I do like about a, a trading card game is that it's something you could go do for 
30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, maybe play a couple of games and then you're done versus a, I'm going to be in the campaign. That's a three hour, four hour, seven hour, depending on how you run your games, you know, tabletop game. I feel like I like these little, little ones at the moment, but I still want to do the board game camping weekend that I've been trying to organize people for. I'm trying to, and there's a couple of campaigns that I want to run and I want to reach out to, you know, the community to try to find some more players. Cause that's how I found Danimal, our dungeon master. And that's how I got to play with a bunch of other people who were just fans of the show signed up and played in Revenor and I played all kinds of people and met some really cool people there. So I feel like I'm ready to get to that point again, just like you're talking about your Patreon game with the drow, which oh, is yeah. cool. Well, that's Moa. He's the seen... other cool thing about that is, is you get to play with some fans of the show yeah, and some yeah. other people and maybe even meet some, you know, new friends that, that we have. So, Mo- and then Gen Con's coming Gen around coming and the you know, this, uh... <laughs> uh, PAX West is in September and PAX Unplugged is in December and mm-hmm. i might try to go to one if not both uh could be a lot of fun i should i should just ask you moa you you bring up the draw patreon game all the time how many episodes should that be if i did would it be like a there six episode thing because maybe i could write a six episode cam like we're gonna have six sessions of drow rpg because in my mind i think that's another thing that it feels daunting to start because i'm like oh that's gonna be like a year of can't I can't I don't know if I could do that yeah a hundred that's that's too many Dungeons the Mad Mage (laughs) like I can't do that (laughs) yeah I want to play every day Jordan can we yeah you're like uh (laughs) but um I could when I was a teenager (laughs) I think more than eight would be the max okay I think more than a one shot obviously because I I one shots are fine for new systems but if we all know how to play D&D it's like uh let's do more than that I feel like six to eight is that number where you can get a good arc in. Yeah. You can get some character development in. You can get some character advancement in that's not too crazy and out of it. And the story could really have, you know, some ups and downs, some roller coaster to it. Versus if you do a one or two, you don't really get too much in that. You're just kind of who you are and the story kind of plays out. But I bet a six and eight would be perfect for, you know, give you that cool arc build suspense build you know what would be fun is take a i should take a a week off of work and then every night that week (laughs) it's like monday we're gonna do five sessions monday to friday Mm -hmm. or monday to sunday and we'll do seven sessions or something and then it would just be done and over but like how many people could commit to that i have no idea but that would be interesting um but no thank you moa i'm i'm putting it in my brain uh i shouldn't say moa mao ma mao I don't, Mr. Peach, Mrs. Peach. I don't know. Hi, you're wonderful. Thank you. Um, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for watching and, and all that other stuff. We're on the internet. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter. If you're still hanging on to that cesspool, that is Twitter. Um, I just started a sub stack, which uh, some friends of mine told me to do because it has a way for uh, to kind of like reach out and, and collect emails and stuff so that you guys could be notified um, about uh, Mao. Okay, thank you, Mao. Uh, so you could be notified about projects that I'm working on, kind of like Mecha Goons if it ever goes up, which it will. Um, I'm just in figuring out playtesting and start and stuff like that. Um, and if you are interested in the rules right now, they're on Patreon. So for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, anything else before we take off, sir? No, but I can't wait to keep gaming. Keep yeah. coming back. Uh, the show's great. It's good to see you. I can't wait till your house is back in order, too, because I know you'll be less stressed. <laughs> yeah, we should have a new D&D book coming out soon. The Bigsby's Giants, I think. And that'll be that'll be interesting. We'll see what comes with yeah. that. So. Um, Thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll see you all on the next episode of the Saturday Morning RPG Show. Take care.